0: Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Kyle Berry.
1: Good afternoon, Payment Nerds. I'm your host, Kyle, with the I FinTech is Eating the World podcast. Uh, we have a great show ahead of us, and uh, we're hosting my friend, Chad Arroyo, former Navy service turned FinTech junkie, uh, and the current North American leader of MasterCard's Labs as a service group. Uh, welcome, Chad. Glad to have you here. Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Uh, we've been looking uh, forward to having you on this one for a while now. I know we've gone back and forth a little bit, but uh, really pumped to have you today. And you know before we kind of get into you know we really want to dive into what you and I talked about is like the embedded finance trends where we're going with that you know we could talk a little bit on blockchain and some of the crypto stuff we've seen recently but really want to understand how you got to this point like what does that journey look like and how do you go from naval academy into you know now leading and this team so love to love to kind of hand it over to you at that point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Kyle. And really again, thank you for having me on the show. This is this is awesome. So, you know, a lot of people seeing a, a background coming from the Navy, going into startups, going into fintech, like how does that all happen? I'll be honest, like, there is no playbook that I just like opened up and said, like, one day I'm gonna I'm gonna land here. I like to think of this in kind of a couple modes. One is going from a lot of structured, regimented thinking and having like all that discipline and then kind of Going into the bit of the wild west where, where anything can happen and just leveraging a lot of those lessons learned along the way. Couldn't have done it without kind of like years in the military, like focusing in defense telecommunications, getting a rich IT background and then doing a kind of what I would call a typical military to business transition. I went and got my MBA over at Notre Dame coming out of the, coming out of the Navy, got to use my GI Bill for that, which was a huge help and really coming out of there, got into Deloitte tech strategy consulting, even served a stint doing. Some nonprofit startup work with an awesome organization called Bunker Labs, which is really fueling the growth of of military veteran entrepreneurs. And it was through kind of like leading the New York City chapter that I was able to kind of get embedded in a, a huge startup community from kind of like venture groups to fellow entrepreneurs, and really curating okay. and mentoring like an amazing network. And and it was through like a whole bunch of startups, and and there like just kind of got me on a track. I can I can dive deeper into.
1: No, no, I mean, look, you know. I think I've mentioned this, do this before, but like basically, you know, naval academy and then Notre Dame, that was, that's basically the path that my father wanted me to go to. So you are the son that my father did not have, unfortunately, you know, um, or, you know, whether or not. So he, I was telling him about this pod and he was like, Oh, you got to get that guy on. He's going to have a great story and, you know, have him talk about the Navy all the time. Like, no, no, no. We're here to talk about fintech and what we're doing. I mean, again, I think it plays a huge role though. And when you're talking about. Your past in going through the naval academy—the the discipline, the regimen, the scheduling that they instill in you—and in that it's funny that you come, you know, from there, and then you kind of get into that startup world post Deloitte. I mean, Deloitte loves that type of background and that resume, right? Because that's what they want in their people. But once you get out of Deloitte, then it's going into this startup world, and you're coming into a very chaotic uh, environment where a lot of your life has been super scheduled and regimented, right? So do you feel like the startups rubbed more off on you or were you rubbing on more on the, star, on the startup? Yeah, I,
2: it's a really good point. I think the startups rubbed off more on me. And I would say there was just a huge growth curve because when you're dealing with such structured environments where you can just rely on schedule, rely on a certain like modus operandi, and then when you get into startups, like anything can happen. Contracts will fall through. Partners don't deliver. Like you're you're worried about how much cash you have in the bank. Like the game changes real fast. And in finding product market fit, you know, figuring out where you're going to scale, where you're going to play, who your partners are going to be. Oh, it's it was, everywhere. It's yeah. chaotic,
1: right? And it's, it is one of those things too, where the, the same old kind of saying goes in startups where everyone wears every hat. So, you know, you can go start out to the day with this whole schedule planned and ready. And I remember one of my old startup CEOs having every 15 minutes scheduled out. And I asked him one time, like, does this ever work out? He goes, it works for the first hour, and then it's just a – it's a it's a crapshoot. We're just not sure where it's going to go from there because you are wearing so many hats, and you're trying to attack so many different problems at different times. So it is always – that is an interesting kind of battling of the heads there. So what was it What about – so Bunker Labs was something that you kind of came into. Uh There was a huge New York chapter. You ended up running it, I think, for a while, you mentioned. But how did that kind of progress your – into into fintech basically like yeah. what is it that kind of triggered it got me it got me
2: embedded in a community like i had not come from a traditional fintech background like if if a bank were to have seen my resume yeah they might have like you know given me an interview but it, i didn't i didn't come from like the traditional pedigree and so i i think with so i'm, I'm in new york city it's 2017 blockchain and crypto is kind of like hitting a really nice flash and and people are getting excited about it and i want to partnering with with an individual through the Bunker Labs network who was working on a pretty cool venture around asset backed tokens and creating like a whole kind of like blockchain system leveraging stable coins, tokenizing stocks and figuring out a whole liquidity model there. And this is super cool. Let me see how I I can drive forward here. And it was through that just kind of got me embedded in a whole scene of FinTech galore.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is the kickoff all cryptos, right? was right around that time period. I remember what I was doing in San Francisco where, you know, Bitcoin and everything else was just starting to take off. Ethereum was something that people were just thinking about. And, you know, now all of a sudden it's it's enormous, right? And it's a big part of our daily lives. But those back-end days were wild, wild west. I mean, there was... And it's still wild west, right? But back then there was nothing. Like this was, hey, we're just not sure what's going to work here. But... When I was going through and like thinking about the stablecoin and everything else, I mean that was more platform based versus coin. Am I am I wrong there? I mean, to me, it sounded like it was more platform versus say just individual. Yeah, I, I think the I think the
2: stablecoin game has changed. When you say platform based I totally agree. In the in the early days, it was like, hey, you know, how is this going to be a unit of exchange? What model can this kind of stablecoin operate on? And now we're going more much more towards an interoperability model. And I think, as we kind of go deeper in the conversation, like we can kind of explore a bit of what that that could look like in the future of kind of payments and whatnot. But when we start looking about how explosive kind of payments digital transactions can go when you start looking at alternative rails, the game gets quite interesting and and I think that's probably what makes the the fintech kind of opportunity ahead so so exciting.
1: So after, so after you're kind of the dabble there for a while, then it's, okay, we've got an opportunity with a big, large company kind of to get in there, i.e. MasterCard. What was that shift like? I mean, now you're moving from huge startup. You've been at Deloitte. You've seen the monster. Now you've been in that, that kind of wild west world, specifically blockchain cryptos, but now it's, okay, we're going to get hungry, go back into that corporate world again. What was, what yeah, was that like it, like?
2: it was kind of different. I kind of looked at the landscape. I'm like, hey, now have gotten all this experience, um, leveraging fintech capabilities, like working with different partners here in the city. Thinking about, hey, where is where is their opportunity to kind of fuse together this idea of entrepreneurial and endeavors, innovation, this fintech background, and who are the players that are doing that? And so I looked at the big banks. I looked at players like Visa and Mastercard. You know, Capital One was also on the radar. And, and it just so happened I had a really strong connection from my time at Bunker Labs, and, and I was able to get a foot in the door. And one thing led to another, and I got this awesome opportunity to join what's called our, our Labs and Service team in a, a solutions architect capacity. And a few years went by, and and then I was able to kind of take lead of the North America team, and it's just some, it's been a, a rocket ship from there.
1: <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, how has it changed since, I mean, now you've been there for years, but how has it changed since you came in to now leading the group? What do you think? I mean, industry wise or just within MasterCard itself? I mean, where where is the focus? So there's there's kind of like
2: two lenses I would I would offer here. Like one is the pre COVID trajectory. And then there's, you know, now in the wake of COVID, how have things like kind of shaped up coming on board? I kind of refer to our traditional kind of innovation services model as, hey, we run a tremendous amount of kind of offerings that are really rooted in human-centered design, accelerated product development thinking. We work in like co-innovation workshops to do a mix of concept development, rapid prototyping, technical planning sessions. And we quickly accelerate our, our customers and client base into kind of commercialization paths. Not all of our engagements go to commercialization, but it's definitely a, a, a prime focus as we move forward. And so that launch was- Launchpad, right? I mean, yeah, so, where I so always think of our, these as launchpads. Yeah, so one of our core offerings is called Launchpad. Five day rapid prototyping sprint. We go from, from concept to high fidelity downloadable prototype, kind of a high quality agency and agency quality video coming out of it, as well as a pitch deck. And we leverage that, that type of offering to accelerate our, our clients' ability to kind of drive further on their product development endeavors. And it's just amazing when you get the right players in the room, the self alignment from those sessions. Bring in MasterCard SMEs and product strategists to really bring that best of breed thinking to bear. That's been a huge portion of what I would refer to as our 1.0 model, but we're very quickly moving down a path of still stabilizing and growing that, that offering and and a suite of other innovation services, Mm -hmm. but also focusing on platforms. And so there's a slew of of kind of platform opportunities that have kind of emerged out of our kind of customer pain point and opportunity sessions that, that we're always in the middle of. And we're assembling a pretty strong product development team to at the same, at the same time, kind of build out those capabilities for a commercialization path, as well as
1: delivering on traditional client service innovation uh, capabilities. So, so when we're thinking about Launchpad stuff, it was 1.0. Now we're thinking about platforms. This is about 2.0. What gets, what's driving that? Those kind of pushes towards platform and, you know, I'm of that more traditional, right? Where I started off and more of that prototyping, such like that. Now it's how do we get these executed? How do we get things out in customers' hands quicker? Um, and I don't know if maybe that's part of the platform play or not, but you know, things are changing, whether it's embedded finance, the API world, all the fintechs are certainly nipping at the heels of everyone. How was that changing?
2: Yeah, I, I like how you framed it. The, there's been an intensity level that I think has, has kind of come, not just in the wake of COVID, but it's this results driven kind of um, engagement model. The notion of doing pure blue sky kind of ideation, thinking about like, where could this go and really exploring what we like to refer to as the art of the possible. Um, still has a an awesome place, and we we definitely push the thinking and in, in all of our engagements to try to get to something that hasn't been delivered in market before to offer truly differentiated solutions for our clients. But at the same time, you can't go too pie in the sky. Um, you have to figure out how am I going to leverage kind of existing capabilities, platforms, or service models to get something that's gonna be able to be deployed quickly and scale faster in market. And we feel very strongly that by kind of hybridizing those two spaces. With some platforms that we could we could kind of deploy not in all client kind of opportunities but in select models we'll be able to bring in platforms partners and capabilities to accelerate some of that and so you mentioned embedded finance um also this kind of banking as a service component um this is a huge area of focus um within Labs of Service and I I purport probably like um, with the direction that MassCard is going to be heading you know years on on to follow and it's definitely a huge area of interest with our financial institution clients so. As we kind of figure out how to, how to bring forward more capabilities there, even with kind of a recent acquisition from the MassCard side on, on a, a company called Finicity, there's just a lot of capabilities to be unlocked.
1: No, I mean, the Finicity purchase and acquisition was actually a huge addition, right? To what MassCard already offers from my view. To me, I look at you guys as the ability, like you guys are the freeways in which you enable all of this money to transact between everything, right? It's not just banks. Banks have some, some of it. But in the even further behind the background, it is Mastercard, it is Visa, it is enabling all of these rails that you've had out there forever. But now, instead of keeping it kind of close to the chest, it's now opening them up, right? It's opening all these endpoints, these nerve points at which now people can start attaching. And Finicity is just another arrow, I guess you could say, in in Mastercard's quiver uh, of a service offering, right? And again, it's. How do we create, and and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I always think about this as how do we create an ease or an ingestible ability for these either non-traditional banking customers or our banking and merchant customers, our invoice partners, whatever it is, to be able to access all this technology that we've spent all these years building. Um, Okay. Alright. So it's
2: it's kind of a million dollar question, right? So you have these APIs, <laughs> yeah. you have service models and capabilities. Hey, and we can like, solve
1: this right know, now on our it's on like, this call. Boom. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna t- trademark this thing, we're good, we're not move we're not looking back, you know, we're 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 golden parachuted out at that point. So um so tell me a little bit. Talk to me about something that's... uh, Tell me about success. I mean, you've done quite a bit of pilots. You've done different transformations. You've worked with merchants. I mean, give me some examples of some of the things that your team has taken on over the past couple of years and and some successes. Yeah, absolutely. So one
2: I'll I'll highlight, and I have to be sensitive to our, our kind of client anonymity kind of contractual requirements, but I'll speak about one in particular here. So... I mentioned Launchpad a moment ago and, and a lot of our client engagements are in those kind of five day sprints. And sometimes we have follow on work, but in this past year, especially in the wake of COVID, we had an opportunity to work with one client and go end to end from concept to commercialization over a 12 month period. And I'm telling you, I, I we, that. when we engaged with this client, it was, it was deliberate that we did not have a pre baked solution in mind. We did not know what we were going to go to market with. And the first phase of the project was very much focused on, on that blue sky ideation. Like we had a, a financial pain point or a p- customer pain point in the financial wellness space that we wanted to tackle. We had a particular customer segment that we were going to be focusing on. And we knew that we had multiple phases to follow to go through all of the, the typical delivery model that's going to include implementing agile, looking at technology stacks, figuring out what the, the cadences are going to be for the cross functional delivery team. And I'm proud to say now that we're in, in our like 12 month of this, this delivery, if you will, that we do have a, a beta out there. It's in, it's in private beta right now. And the, the clients just done an exceptional job working kind of hand in glove with, with the whole team and just, just getting something pretty exciting out there. And I wish I could share more about the product itself, but for the moment, that's, that's something we're really proud of.
1: No, no, we'll have a follow up, uh, pod when it actually, when it does launch into the public and we can do a whole thing around it, have the customer on and, and, and we'll have a a toast or a a martini online for everybody. So (laughs) that'll be fine. But I am curious about, you know, I love the fact that you were able to push. And again, I look at COVID. I mean, it was what an awful kind of year that everyone has had. It's impacted everyone so differently, but I do look at it in some of the business aspects has been an accelerator. It's been an accelerator on, and I've, been preaching this and I've probably been, I think my coworkers think I sound like a broken record, but it has an accelerator in certain aspects of digital transformation, you know, and just simply how are people using tap to pay? How are they using QR codes? How are they using virtual digital cards? I mean, it just really has pushed the boundaries and really made companies rethink how they are instilling and helping consumers to spend and save and and create wealth. This financial wellness aspect to me is a booming space where there are a lot of companies out there that are starting to create this financial wellness, whether it is credit builders, applications, perhaps it is things around helping people to uh, build financial wealth via savings or investment um, to certain underserved groups. I mean, it is something that is continuing to grow. And again, I think all the bad things that COVID brought, it did bring an acceleration to this. How was it going back when you're talking about blue sky, you're talking about blue sky with a customer. And now all of a sudden it's coming into, okay, well, if we want this to make this, if we want to impact this as soon as possible, we have to move quickly. You talked about implementing agile methodologies and things like that. How are the hurdles there? I mean, there had to have been some type of hurdle there, especially when you're not doing that previously, right? If the customer isn't there, or perhaps MasterCard isn't in those weeds yet with the customer doing that. I mean, how do you guys overcome those hurdles?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's an awesome question. And even I'll, I'll layer on one level of complexity is like delivering that type of engagement model completely remotely. Um, originally we were in discussions with the client pre COVID and we were planning on flying out there on a weekly basis, working with the innovation pod team on, on all the different work streams. Now you layer on this team is forming. They've never worked together all, all together and we're going to be delivering like remote standups, remote retros and, and the whole thing. And so as you're thinking about kind of putting, putting that model together, I'd say like the culture and team building piece of this is absolutely critical. You have to build trust really early on get some quick wins in terms of um, some some deliverables some validation around like just general alignment and make sure the entire team is bought into that that endeavor and I won't lie like there there's going to be friction when you're getting initial teams set up and so you're getting kind of like your your cadences schedules expectations but we had a really strong leader on the on the client side which was just tremendous because we we very quickly built that trust up and they were able to work very closely with with their delivery teams as well but now, as you think about okay, we got the team building in place. Now, how do we get to the meat, meat and bones of of, of kind of like pushing code out the door? And we've gotten to work with just an amazing um, agile coach over this um, over this twelve month period, who also was double headed as uh, as project manager, and he was able to just set up like an amazing kind of an amazing flow for for moving through the different phases of the project. And while while that role might seem more traditional. That That whole player coach thing wound up playing out like just in in ways that I think were just so impactful and there there's a whole lot more that I could dive into, but I think team first and foremost is just um the magic to make it happen,
1: yeah, it is I mean that creates a special sauce right as and kind of the structure in which you said this agile coach kind of set up, and then your counterpart on the customer side I mean when you have alignment between those kind of three heads all of a sudden things start to fall in place and right the team underneath it needs to back it up and come every day to to work. But no, I mean, it's a fantastic story. And again, like I said, we'd love to have you guys on uh, at the time at which it goes announcement and uh, we'd love to talk a little bit more and dive into it.
0: Hey there, we hope you're enjoying this episode of the Kunai podcast. Kunai concepts, designs, and develops unique customer experiences that unite digital products with FinTech for the world's top companies. We partner with our clients from start to finish to ensure that their product development efforts are always high-velocity and customer-aligned. This is why Fortune 500 companies, all four payment networks, five of the 10 top banks, and startups trust Kunai. And now, back to the episode.
1: But, um, you know, going back to the Labs Now group or the, and the Labs Service group, how does successes like this continue to shape the way Especially now, as you've taken over kind of leadership here, shape the way that you look at future engagements and how you want to push those relationships. i mean, how does that how does that shape the way that you you lead this team now? Yeah, yeah, it's
2: great great questions there's there's two lenses here. One is how do you how do you drive more customer value and do so in a strategic way? And then how can you do that and also deliver in ways that scale and hopefully build the business and and grow? And they're not mutually exclusive, but as you think about things around platforms and delivering kind of like out-of-the-box capabilities, like those types of things scale really nicely, right? If you find the right touch points within the organization, the right integration, you can you can kind of like launch, customize, and go live quite quickly. But when you're talking about more bespoke engagements, ones where there needs to be like custom, custom code, um, custom solutions kind of identified and built out, that doesn't necessarily lend well. So I definitely see that there's a mix of both. And there's advantages and disadvantages of going down each path. I would say the the platform direction can can scale quicker and kind of grow the business faster, but that might not be the the most impactful from a relationship standpoint. So I think it's finding the right kind of like thematic opportunities, especially ones that align with what I would refer to generally as like Mastercard core strategy, and okay. where we we as a business want to take our products and services. Because at the end of the day. One of the biggest differentiators for Labs of Service and MasterCard in general as we're engaging these types of innovation um, engagements is we've got the powerhouse of MasterCard behind us, right? So when you think about these acquisitions, you think about um, a startup program that we have called StartPath, where we, we bring in kind of Series A and beyond startups into our, our portfolio. You think about the SMEs and capabilities that we have as a, as a company. If we're not bringing those to bear through our engagements, technically, one of our customers or clients, they could hire an agency and just take a suite of requirements and go build that out. And that's not typically the model we're in. We, we want to partner, want to figure out how to grow the pie and we're interested in unique ways of doing it. So at the end of the, the engagement, it might just be a thing, but hopefully a thing that impacts customers. But if there's a way to partner and go deeper with our clients on, on a longstanding like delivery model or even partnership model, happy to have the conversation.
1: Well, so I've always thought about it as, you know, build versus buy, right? When you're thinking about a full platform, it's always buy versus, you know, what are we building that needs to be more bespoke? how are you seeing the trends move right now? And especially, I mean, look, as I've heard, Mashcorp was a lot of, okay, let's innovate. Let's, let's do pie in the sky or blue sky stuff. Let's think about how do we build this bespoke thing. And now we're moving more towards platform. Is that a shift that they're just trying to even out the plane level and offer both? Or do you really see platform taking over what you're going to be building bespoke? Um, You know, my thoughts, then just to give my two cents, I always think there always has to be some type of bespoke piece to it, no matter what. I mean, Never ever does something out of the box work exactly to how the customer wants um, unless it's the most simplistic use case there is. Um, otherwise, there always needs to be some type of bespoke code that goes into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah.
2: So um, just to throw some rough numbers, I'm a, I'm a percentage person oftentimes. Like if, what I if was this winds up being 50-50 or 60-40 or 40-60, like I, I think that there's going to be a healthy split between the the two lines and they're, they're not going to be mutually exclusive, right? Like there could be, There could be an engagement where, let's say we're working on a, like a a PFM open banking type solution. And we found, um, several partners that we can orchestrate that with on behalf of the client, right? But there's a whole suite of like customization that that client's going to need that could have integration points with their existing, we'll say online banking experience or or digital channels. And we want to look to one, how do those get serviced? And especially as you start pulling, pushing the, the needle down, even going to like an embedded finance route. There might be endpoints that we don't even know about that we're going to tease out from going through those sessions, and it's like, okay, we've got bam, 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 bam. These these touch points, we want to activate the the customers in these areas, and hopefully, you know, provide impact on on those touch points. None of that is is always going to be in a in a platform sense, like out of the box, right? There might be pieces, but that orchestration piece is going to be huge.
1: Well, and that's, I mean, you know, to me, at in how we talk more about the Lab of Service Group, I actually think of you guys as an orchestration layer within MasterCard to customers, right? You're sitting there. I mean, you have StartPath that's looking at all of these new startups and, and bringing kind of uh, opportunities to the forefront and, and enabling people to grow and, and scale. You've got uh, acquisitions like Finicity that is enabling and uh, bringing more uh, product-based or platform-based offerings to MasterCard's Quiver. And then you have the lab as a service group that's really looking at all of it and saying, okay, Mr. Customer, here's all the things that we can bring to you. And let's touch a little bit here in path. Let's grab Finicity here. Or let's grab this existing service we have here and put together a solution that's really going to help you to drive the, the business value that you're looking for.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and so we we love getting in those types of those conversations even like pre-engagement to show them where the art of the possible can go. And we we're very careful especially as our clients want to like not predefine and pre-presuppose any solution that we show like, "Hey, here's a suite of capabilities we can explore." And unless they're super kind of like firm like we definitively want X, Y, and Z, we might save that that portion of the recommendations for the implementation path post um, getting getting that prototype and that product
1: vision together, but it really just depends on the client opportunity. Definitely. So as we talk about opportunities, the clients, things moving forward, we've talked a little bit about, touched on banks, and service, embedded finance. Give me some thoughts. Give me some trends. Like where do you see that going, and how does Mastercard going to play in that well, <laughs> Wow. Uh, so open ended, but take it where. No, no, play. no. So
2: it's it's where to where to start from here. It's. Um, I, as as my boss James Carroll likes to say, it's like where where kind of problem meets opportunity, where opportunity meets product, and where kind of like product meets commercialization, or or something something therein, right? Yeah, so yeah, there yeah. there's a there's a crawl walk run here. Um, I think that listen, like there's going to be capabilities that that can be unlocked, whether you're talking about kind of like in in the moment purchaser purchases from like embedded within applications, where you're talking about bringing forward like lending solutions, PFM yep. services. You look at any one of these kind of capabilities that can be unlocked with, with a service provider, with an API, and you find the right partner that wants to bring that online, just like you said from the orchestration piece, it's like, how do we make this possible? And then hopefully, how do we make this possible in a scalable way? Because if if every time we want to launch, I'll say like a, um, a banking as a service um, enabled PFM capability, it's completely bespoke. And you know the the delivery timelines like six it's, months. Not gonna work, it's, yeah. it's not going to work as one off.
1: It's not going to work. I mean that's the whole that's the whole gravitas towards this fintech um, movement, right? The the fintechs that are coming up, the way that legacy banking systems are moving towards. How do I get in this API world? How Mastercard and Visa are, are, are moving themselves um, into you know the relationship with banks and, and merchants and the businesses and stuff. It, to me, again, it, it's not going to work if it's a one-off. It needs to be more a platform. I can plug and play things, uh, that enable these individual businesses because it's not just anymore. Look, I, I the old models, everyone was going to your big box stores and such like that to, to buy and, and to consume. This direct to consumer marketplace that we have these days is driving this embedded finance and that everyone at some point can offer some type of banking or fintech service. And so. Yeah, I mean, how does how do you how does MasterCard attack or how does your group going to attack that going forward in enabling that API yeah. platform play?
2: So the I'm gonna start with the client from the first part of the answer here. When you start to think about kind of like proof of concept, like there needs to be a combination of proof of concept and proof of value, right? If if we can't show the right use case and in a reasonable implementation timeline to bring XYZ to market, you know, we're gonna be dead in the water from the beginning. So it's yeah. about stringing together those pieces. And showing that there's a path to execute here and and get that level of buy-in. So I think it's just building out the the vision for those use cases and finding the right partners is going to be the the beginning of that. And then it's going to be boots on the ground discussions about what works, what doesn't. Maybe the the client's already working with some service providers on some of those like capabilities already, and we want to align with their digital strategies, their product roadmaps because. If we're coming in there and trying to force a solution down, down the throats of clients, like we're not, we're not playing well, right? we have to listen, understand how they're operating, what their tech environments are and where they essentially want to go. I'd say that's, that's
1: definitely prime first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, you got to play well in the sand. Um, play nice in the sand, however, you know, however my mom said it back in the day when I would give, you know, trouble for bullying kids or something but yeah you got to play nice in the sand when it comes down to all the things that you can offer as well as look everyone has a little bit different use case here but the you got to think about the 80 20 rule um in that there are a lot of things that cover the same pieces thinking about the embedded finance how does that work with and we can bring it back to the blockchain the crypto i mean everything is kind of blowing up right now there's a ton of buzz about it it's really exciting it's enabling so many people to get involved uh, in certain tradings, financials. You have Robinhood blowing up. Yeah. But how does, when you think about, and this, is, again, I'm going to touch on your background in kind of this more platform, you know, as a service almost, right? Um, how does the embedded finance evolve? And especially when you think about crypto, it's it's more about decentralization. How does that play a role with labs of service or just in your thing in general in terms of yeah forward. so
2: i'll i'll give a couple points of view one um and i hope this touches on the theme you're, you're trying to hit um so there was a recent announcement in the last couple of weeks around a gemini card and the launching of one of a, a crypto rewards credit card and it hasn't it hasn't come to market yet and, and there's probably still going to be work to between now and when it when it launches um to bring that online but you start thinking about okay we've got a payment with with some type of card product there's going to be rewards that essentially, um, you know, whether it's the one to 3% typical that, that you might get from, from just spending on card and that that's going to be rewarded, um, in some type of crypto. So no. at least now you're, you're creating a financial instrument, um, albeit a digital, digital asset, cryptocurrency instrument that's, that's now tying with loyalty. Now that then connects with some type of, um, like exchange platform, whether it's Gemini or, or some other, um, exchange platform where you might be able to go, you know, back and forth to crypto, fiat, or, um, or potentially some other asset, like maybe an NFT. Um, you know, now you're creating the ability to exchange instruments and it started from a card experience, right? Like that's, that's different, right? And I don't think people are really seeing like that, that, that kind of is a lead in to now get a lot more adoption for, for what otherwise would have been considered a very alternative asset class, you know, that, that gets in the hands of a lot of folks.
1: No, uh, I think you're right there, right? It, it is, again, once again, the virtual card enabling or the, the card product enabling so much more beyond just what it is, right? Uh, whether it's a piece of plastic or if it's a token, whatever it may be, it's just enabling that much more. Um, when I think about embedded finance, it's going to be led by what card products can be offered by these individual uh, non-traditional banking customer, uh, clients, right, or businesses. Um, with crypto, how do you actually use that alternative coin? Well, if we can put it into an actual form of payment and use it, it just creates the use cases double. And then all of a sudden you get into, well, this is actually real. This is yeah. something tangible. This means actually something other than what's looking, what sits on my Robinhood or my, uh, you know, uh you know account right um, and what i'm trading back and forth so um it's a really cool aspect of where mastercard is going you know i think you mentioned it's not yet launched just the partnership's been announced correct yep
2: yeah, yep yeah, 100% and and there's like one one additional example i I'd love to bring forward and it definitely hits on the the digital currency realm so mastercard launched a um kind of a, a partnership with the bahamas um sands dollar program and so for folks that are not aren't familiar with that there's a whole movement around what's called um, CBDCs, Central Bank Digital Currencies, and this is the notion of bringing forth a stable coin model um, in a digital currency kind of world, if you will, and figuring out how to basically interact with digital currencies in, in like um, central bank funded models, if, if you will. And so with this Bahamas SANS dollar effort, uh, MasterCard has a prepaid card that's connected with that, that SANS dollar. So you can you can basically like load up digital currency um, of, of the Bahamas region on on that card and, and be able to spend with it. And, and then also work through a model to go back to the, the local fiat currency. And
1: so. So, yeah, so does the and I apologize, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, that, I mean, that my mind's now spinning. Right. How. So is the bank going to then control the value or is it really just controlling the transactional aspect of things like. That's yep. to me where it starts to kind of break the the lines of of what what altcoins and what kind of crypto is versus you know your traditional legacy banking, yeah, so from a central bank
2: perspective the the uniform interest is that the CBdcs are going to be stable coins, but stable coins that are basically pegged with their local currencies. and so the the well that's not interesting except for the fact of now you have a unity exchange, which in in all purposes is very interesting, especially when we think about. We're interacting with like PayPal and Venmo, which is effectively like, you know, digital transfers of, of payments Absolutely. A, as we are. And now you try to bring that type of model, you know, potentially in a peer to peer fashion with CBDCs. Um, and then you layer on the ability to potentially exchange CBDCs for for Bitcoin, Ethereum or other cryptos. And now the, the game is, again, getting more integrated and it's changing faster. So this
1: is how I kind of start to see things is, you know, when we move out of kind of the monetary assets into digital assets, right? It's not necessarily just dollar for dollar anymore. It's full on digital assets and everything at this point. And this is what NFTs really have kind of started to spawn as well is, and and this kind of partial ownership of cryptos and stuff is you can turn anything into a digital asset and utilize that to enhance your wealth or to, you know, find ways to, to make money off of it, right? Sure. Um, you know, that gets into these kind of far off that I've heard people talk about where it's, Hey, I could turn my house into an NFT and sell parts of it, right? And people own parts of, you know, the house that I have that technically, you know, typically on paper that I've signed, I own, but in, in kind of a reality, actually, it is something that can be used like that. That's really cool. That, I mean, that's a really interesting, uh, opportunity that MasterCard's endeavored in. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the use case and kind of the write-ups, uh, post-launch with, um, with the Bahamas. That's awesome. Cool. Definitely. Anything else you want to touch on?
2: Oh, I think, um, I think we covered a wide, wide spectrum here. I would just kind of give a, uh, I guess a shameless plug for Massacre. You know, a, a lot of folks look at, look at Massacre as like it's just a pure payments company. And while we do have this like rooted, like kind of background in just like card and card related payments, the wealth of, of just like capabilities and assets that continue to get brought into the firm are just outstanding from, you know, whether it's like open banking capabilities to like blockchain based startups um, to cybersecurity, like as we continue to kind of move forward in this like technology kind of partnership and acquisition realm, the portfolio of capabilities just continues to expand. And I think as you think about innovation, the ability to kind of pull those forward into our engagements and client impacts and those opportunities around solving for pain points just grows exponentially. And like that's what keeps me super excited about being part of this team. Um And hopefully, you know, we're doing in person We're post COVID soon enough. Um, but it's just been, it's been exciting and I, I couldn't think of a better place to be.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's been awesome to, uh, to, you know, partner with you on, on certain things, uh, in the past year or two. Uh, we love to continue our work with MasterCard. Um, I really appreciate again, you coming on here, giving your time. Um, and, uh, I look forward to to having you back on and, and like you said, hopefully in a few months, come out to, to New York, and we can uh, have a have a martini or cocktail or two. So, brother cool. Kyle, appreciate, appreciate the partnership. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you.